Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Max Trailer. He helps brilliant people turn their unique knowledge into repeatable systems, productized consulting services, seeing value in others that they cannot see for themselves. Welcome to the show, Max. I'm very happy to be here. And that was a great intro. I'll have to use that more often. Well, thanks, Max. I believe maybe you wrote it yourself, if I recall. But I I, uh, I love that you help brilliant people turn their unique knowledge into repeatable systems. And the reason I say that is I think we all like to think of ourselves as being brilliant, even when we're struggling, even when we need a little bit of help. And uh, I think most of us would gravitate to a consultant that already sees us as successful and is just helping us become even more so. I don't think I would respond as well, you know, when there's someone that says, I help total disaster moms better their lives, because I don't want to think of myself as a disaster mom. I, you know, I want to feel like I'm, I'm partway there already. So what is it that you help people do and how do you do that? Well, about the intro, I, I have trouble looking in the mirror and answering that question myself. So I, I've always found it easiest just to ask my clients, hey, what does Max do for you? And, and they say things like, well, his superpower is to see the value in other people and simplify the complex. So I guess in general terms, I help them package up their knowledge into ways that it can be sold. Sometimes I'm working with an agency and I'll describe it as productizing their consulting services, help them package it up, charge more for it and do it really efficiently. I do the same thing for independent consultants. I help them talk about themselves in a way that they can charge more and do less with a greater impact for their clients. What I think is pretty interesting is that sometimes it's hard for entrepreneurs and companies to do this for themselves even though they may be brilliant and experienced and successful and maybe even do something similar for others. I think a lot of times we do need that outside person to come in, look at the business, look at what we're doing and think outside the box, come up with fresh ideas, sort of as a neutral, someone that's a little little more impartial because they're not in the trenches with the company or with the entrepreneur to find ways to scale and maybe find some lost revenue and, and hidden revenue that hasn't been fully implemented and utilized. Tell us a little bit about what you've done for companies or entrepreneurs in the past. Like maybe some of your, doesn't have to be your top case studies, but maybe just some that come to mind today that were interesting or stood out to you in some way. My favorite people to work with are independent consultants, people that, and I categorize those people as folks that sell their knowledge, but they are also responsible for generating new business with themselves. So it's, it's twice as hard to do both of those things as an independent consultant. And my favorite stories are when they say, I, you know, I've doubled my prices. I like to help people package up what they do and talk about themselves differently and do things differently. But the reality is 99% of the people that I talk to could raise their prices tomorrow, making zero changes to what it is that they do. And what I've learned is that we're all more critical of our work than our clients are. Our clients see what we do as more valuable than we do. 
So that that's a common story that I like to share is just people are charging more for what they're doing. Sometimes people come to me and they've got so much experience across so many different industries and they feel lost because they're not able to focus on or identify the thing that they're most passionate about and that they want their personal brand to stand for. So I help them achieve some clarity there. When it comes to larger agencies, I mean, the stories are, I'm helping them charge more for consulting services, meaning that they can you know, charge their clients a hefty price point for some strategy work. And because they're doing more strategy work, then you know, all of a sudden they can charge more for the rest of their services. So when I work with companies, it's more of a financial play, but I like to see the impact on an individual's personal life. The, the thing that got me into doing my own thing was one of my first clients, and uh, he spent six months in Africa with his family and his business doubled in revenue. And that's when I became addicted to helping people improve their personal lives more so than just make money. I love that you not only show people maybe how to charge more, but also you're the person that helps give them permission to charge more because maybe that's what they needed to hear is somebody to tell them you can charge more. Like you absolutely can and you should. And here's how. I love that. Do you think that a really large percentage of the people you help were just undercharging and that was one of the main sort of pain points in their business? Well, everyone's undercharging. I've met one, like we were talking about my podcast as well. I started it seven years ago. I've done hundreds of interviews. I've talked to so many more people that didn't end up doing interviews. So I've, I've talked to thousands of people and I've met one person in my entire career that I feel is charging appropriately. His name is Steve Lashansky. Uh, he wrote the book, Ultimate Sales Revolution, and he charges appropriately. He charges a lot of money. Everyone else has not discovered the plateau of what they can charge for the clients that they're working with. And the excuses are, everybody has their own excuses, but I think at the end of the day, you can't, I can give people permission, but you actually have to trick yourself into doing it. Like until, I don't know what it is, but you're going to be uncomfortable when you spit out that number that's twice as much as you're charging today. But until you do it and until you experience the reaction of, oh, yeah, we can do that. Or, well, I can't pay that, but I can pay you this. You realize that people don't say no because the price is too high. When the price is too high, it's the start of a really valuable conversation. But there has to be somewhat of an upper limit or a ceiling on certain products and services just because clients and customers don't have unlimited budgets. You know, I mean, even the most expensive cell phone on the market, that is the price. It is the most expensive cell phone on the market, but I'm not sure that the manufacturer could charge triple and still make sales. So is there a process in place to sort of feel out what the appropriate floor and what the potential max ceiling would be? And by uh, max ceiling, I'm not referencing <laughs> your name, Max Trailer, but just the maximum, right? Although I guess you could definitely uh, yeah, name maybe some of your processes with your name because it's a yeah, great name. Yeah, I, you know, I like naming things. I do that in my spare time. It's fun stuff. I'll write that one down. Well, there's two answers to your question. One is that my dad always told me, Max, if you get a yes, double the price. If you get a no, get four more no's and then split the difference. So I'm certainly not a fan of outpricing yourself. But I am a fan of consistently pushing the limits and understanding that the price is never right. The price is either too low and you get a yes and you don't learn anything or the price is too high and it's the start of a valuable conversation. Well, why, why is that price too high? And now you're in a position of power and perceived value to say, well, maybe it's not 
maybe you can't pay me 40,000, but you could pay me $20,000 today. And in 30 days, you could pay me another $10,000. And you might only arrive at that place because you had that conversation that came about because the price was too high. So that's one philosophy that I have. But the other thing is that there's two types for an independent consultant or anybody selling knowledge, you really run two businesses. You run the business of selling strategy, planning, knowledge, your insight. It's an intangible. And you run the business of doing things, actually implementing your ideas. The business of knowledge is value-based. You can charge whatever you want because it's irreplaceable. You are unique. You have unique insights and you can't go shopping to the next person and and price shop you on that. I've seen million-dollar strategies that I thought were really bad, just poorly put together documents, but someone paid a million dollars for that. And it's because the market for strategy and planning has zero rules. The market for implementation, the market for doing things is a commodity-based, competitively priced market. You can only charge what the other people are charging or else you're going to lose business to someone that's not charging as much. So I think the first thing is to really understand how you're positioning yourself and to shift what you're selling from the doing of things to your thinking and your planning, and then do that fun thing I was talking about of consistently raising your prices. But it's half positioning and half mindset. So because I have a foot in so many different careers and different areas, I was trying to think of what would be sort of a use case or an example that I would resonate with or or have some experience with. So I'm going to throw some out and let you pick the one that you think would be most interesting to talk about. I do own a real estate brokerage. So of course, my mind went to commissions for listing homes because of course, because of antitrust, they're fully negotiable. Any uh, real estate agent can charge whatever commission they negotiate with their client. Uh, The industry historically has sort of averaged out at about a 6% total commission for someone to sell a property. And that's been uh, historically in the past pretty steady. But in recent years, I think especially because of the internet and the different technology companies that have popped up, there has been a downward squeeze on commissions. So now here regionally, at least 5% seems to be pretty standard. And you see a lot of that in listing agreements. Although there's still some agents who charge the 6% that they've been you know, charging in their brokerage for decades. Um, and then you see others throwing numbers out like 1%, you know, disc- we call them discount brokerages, where they dangle the, the 1% listing commission for the consumer. You can see it on billboards and everything. So that's one industry that I think the pricing model is is interesting that way. Another industry, I'm a lawyer as well. So I'm dual licensed. I, I'm a lawyer in two states. And in the law, there's so much going on, a big shakeup in how services are priced because there's a traditional hourly billing model where attorneys bill by the hour. And to make that a little bit interesting to talk about, they usually bill by the hour and that billing rate is different even within the same law firm. So you may have a partner billing X amount and then an associate who's junior billing a different amount and a senior associate a different amount and then the paralegal bills what they bill and then there may be maybe a markup on certain hard costs like overnight mail and copies and things like that, travel expenses. So Kind of interesting in that industry as well, because it's moving towards flat fees, flat fee scope, where an attorney will define a certain list of services and then charge a lump flat fee for 
those services. There's also results-based fees in the legal world, like contingency cases where a personal injury attorney will say, hey, I'm going to work hard for you. And then at the end of the day, whether you settle or win at trial, I'm going to take 30%, 40%, whatever it is. And that's success-based and contingent on success. So I'm always very curious to hear from someone like you how you look at different industries like that. Which one of those would you find the most interesting to say a few words on? I'd probably be most interested in the areas where I could raise my prices where I could look at other people and say, ah, you're doing this for a lot more money. I don't know if real estate is an example of that, but it certainly feels like if you're a lawyer, there are certain things that you can raise your prices on. I would imagine that there's a big discrepancy in how people charge hourly. There's probably some specific parts of the law that are awfully unique and specific, and you might get $1,500 an hour for those types of things. Others, you might get $300 an hour. But it was it was in your example of pay for performance that seems like, you know, wow, there's a really high ceiling there. Um, so I, I'm most attracted to areas where I can continue to raise my prices, have fun with it without necessarily increasing the amount of work that I have to do. And that makes sense because especially for anyone who listens to this show on a regular basis, and I'm a champion of this, but also struggle with it myself, is work-life balance and how how much we work. And the more you charge for the time you do work, I mean, not necessarily charge for it, but the more you keep of it. I mean, it doesn't have to be you doing the work even. Sometimes delegating is one way to, to leverage and scale is to have more of a team. So you're not the only worker bee in your business. But if there are ways to earn more with less time, that does allow us to have more freedom and blank space in our calendars, which is extremely valuable because time is a limited resource for all of us. None of us really know exactly how much of that limited resource we do have left. So share with us some of the ways that you have helped people increase what they make, which has resulted in them being able to work less and uh, use that time for other pursuits. Well, discover the first thing you have to do is force people to come up with a plan for their personal lives. We can talk all we want about raising fees and the motivation is more time with our with our families, but I find that almost nobody actually sits down and creates a plan that says, you know what, I want to spend four months out of the year with my family. That's a quantifiable goal that you often see in the business world, but that people don't apply to their personal lives. That's what I grew up with. I grew up with my dad saying, look, plan your personal life, figure out what you want to do with your personal life and let that guide your business decisions. He works on totally passive income, 100% passive income because he wanted to be there for his son and take me to Disney World. And he's also a complete degenerate when it comes to playing tennis. He's like one of the best old people tennis players in the world. It's because he just plays tennis all the time. So he put his personal life first and then made business decisions after that. So the first thing I have to do is really get people to envision a personal life down to look, what days are you going to be working? And what days are you not going to be working? And what are you going to be doing on those days that you're not working? And then you can have a conversation about your business model and how many clients you want to have at any given time, how much you're charging for those clients at any given time. So I think your question was you know, some stories about it, but my approach is really how do you want your personal life to improve? And then we have to relook at your business and say, well, maybe maybe you're not working with 10 clients at $5,000. Maybe you're working with three clients at $50,000. And that's going to triple the amount of free time that you have. And what are you going to do with that free time? Well, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start marketing myself. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to spend more time with my kids. I'm going to play golf. And I'm going to give those three clients my, my very best work. 
those are the types of things, those are the types of plans that I like to come up with for my clients. The changes they have to make are sometimes the types of clients that they're working with. Well, I now have to go up market to find people that can pay $50,000. Well, that is something that you can do if you try. I have to change the way I talk about myself. I can't say I develop websites. I have to say that I do communication strategy because it sounds more strategic and I can charge whatever I want for it versus I can't charge whatever I want for a website. That's fascinating. And, you know, I was an English major in college, so I love language and words. And uh, you bring up a great point that sometimes even just what we call what we do will change its perceived value in the eyes of the consumer and client. Can, can we just talk find- about how many, how many careers have you had? So you're an English major and then you're a lawyer and you do real estate. You're in a bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah, no, I've I've done a lot of different things. You know, for five years, way back when, long before law school, I was a wedding planner, which is actually probably one of my favorite past careers. I did that mostly in the summer, but I live in a climate that's year round for weddings and it's a big destination city. I live in San Diego. So that was a great time and was in magazine publishing for a while and lots of different things. So I am the quintessential sort of multi-niche personality and I've always loved that. And I still am. I mean, you know, starting a podcast and launching some books and different things. And I teach online. I teach at the local law school as well, an in-person class. So I, I definitely am a multi-passionate person. And, and that I think is both a downfall and a great gift because it is very hard to keep work-life balance when you have more than one job. That is a, an especially challenging place to be because there's more demands on your time. And uh, when you're good at what you do and you put effort and time into it, people reward you for your efforts with more work, right? And more demand. So that that is tricky. It gets tricky that way. But I'm curious if you have specific industries that gravitate more towards you. I and mean, when you look at your client roster, do you see any patterns? Do you find that you have sort of ended up niching down to a certain kind of business or type of entrepreneur? Or do you find that you really are just kind of uh, across the board, really varied in who you help? Well, my grandfather always told me you have to know the territory. And so I went to school for entrepreneurship with a concentration in marketing. I got out of college. I started running a marketing agency. Took me four years to figure out that that business model will eat you up and spit you out. And you won't even know up from down. So when I first went on out on my own, I helped marketing agencies because I knew that they were struggling with the time for dollars paradigm. I knew they were getting closer to the revenue. The trend was that marketing was finally getting a seat at the revenue table. So that's where I started. Since then, it has expanded into other sister industries that help businesses grow. So close to the money, it's, it's gone from marketing to sales consultancies to executive coaching. I also have one or two clients over the past seven years that I could name in industries like data consulting, biotechnology, but those all come through referrals. And sometimes I go to sleep on my own advice and I dive into those things for, I don't really know why I do it. I'm a big fan of focus, but it's primarily marketing sales and executive coaching that I work in. And I think that the thing that is common about those industries is that the results are measurable, meaning that if you're selling marketing knowledge, sales knowledge, executive coaching knowledge, the result of people changing their behaviors because of the knowledge that you're providing is they make more money or something else strategically important happens to their business that is measurable. And it's in those cases where there's a really high ceiling for your knowledge. You know, it doesn't matter that I was only there for a half day workshop. Your business is now making 
an extra million dollars every month. So is it worth $250,000 for that workshop? You bet it is. And for you, just to keep your own self organized and sane, because there's a lot of demands on your time. And I know that you have a family and you have hobbies. I know of one hobby and that's golf, right? And how do you find time for all of that? Do you have any hacks or techniques or any software that you're a fan of or um, other ways to just make sure that you get in the amount of golf and the time with your family that you want every week? Yeah. First off, I was never able to have a full-time job because at a very young age, I started playing professional paintball and traveling the world and shooting at people. So I've always forced myself and practice and got used to, hey, I've got to take a week off every six weeks. So I think the first thing is you've got to force yourself to do it. So today I schedule every Monday when I do my weekly planning, I block an entire day, Thursday or Friday for golf. I'm blocking three months next year at different times to take off. So you commit first to taking off the time. You don't achieve something in your business and then magically give yourself permission and then take the time off. That's not how it works. You have to first plan to take the time off. And the thing about solopreneurs and independent consultants, we are resilient people. We figure it out based on our parameters. So if we force ourselves to take the time off, we're going to figure it out. When we don't figure it out is when we don't commit to that time and we're for some reason waiting for someone to come down and tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, you're, you now have enough money or enough you know, traction to go, to go take time off. We never, we never get there. So it is, a, it is a life hack. And the hack is to actually book that time first. The other biggest thing is that people aren't aware of where their time goes. I was lucky enough to have a mentor that forced me to track my time. And most people say, oh, I track my time. I track my client time. Well, guess what? You're only doing client work half the time that you're actually working. So I track every single minute of my work time. I categorize it. And with my business partner on a quarterly basis, I go through and I actually look at what I'm spending my time on. My business partner's role is to identify the things that I'm spending my time on that aren't my superpower, that aren't my unique ability and create systems and then go find a support role that can take that off my plate. I'm a solopreneur, but I've got seven or eight people that are in supporting roles that I've never met before, but that have these systems and do all these things so that I can play golf. And what do you use to track your time? Are you pen and pencil old fashioned or do you have an app that you recommend for time tracking? I use Toggle. I'm such a fan of simple technologies and Toggle is pretty simple. You just, when you start a task, you press a button. And then when you stop it, you press stop. I've never found somebody that's good at tracking their time when they try to do it, you know, looking back like, oh, at the end of my day, I'll, you know, go back and write down what I did. That never works. It has to be a habit that you develop while you're doing it. And it also forces you to focus and be present. Like if I start the timer preparing for a client workshop, I am fully in that moment, fully focused on doing that because I started the timer. I don't open my email or answer other questions. It would get extremely complicated and my time tracking would have you know 30 things over the course of the day. I probably have three or four things that I'm working on over the course of the day because I take the time to plan, because I'm intentional in any given moment about what I'm doing. 
So you got to track your time, folks. All good advice. Fantastic advice. Now, how do people connect with you if they want to either look at the different services you offer? Maybe someone listening could use the kind of skill that you bring to the table or even just to follow you as uh, someone that they want to stay in touch with, see what you publish. I don't know if you have any articles out, any books, but go ahead and let us know how we can find all of that online. MaxTrailer.com is the uh, hub. It's spelled like Taylor with an R. T-R-A-Y-L-O-R. You can get a free download of my book there, or if you want to put 50 cents in my pocket, you can buy it off of Amazon. It's Agency Survival Guide, How to Productize Consulting Services and Do Other Things Better Too. This year, I've got a new book coming out, Consultant Survival Guide, so fun with that. Uh, The podcast is Beers with Max. You can find that on my website as well. And the only social network I really pay attention to is LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Max, it's been so amazing talking to you today. I have learned a lot and been inspired and I know listeners have too. So thank you so much for being on the show today. If I ever need a lawyer and a real estate agent and a copywriter, I'll, I know who to go to. Oh, yes, I'm your girl. So just look me up. And a professor. <laughs> there you go. And you know, what's funny is I teach ethics. So if you ever find an ethical quandary, give me a call. Cheers. Guess what, lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link, www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and see you next time.